and welcome to the Saturday Night South Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. Marler, are you ready for a little rain? Because, woof, looks like Hurricane Delta is nasty. Mizzou LSU has already been moved. There are talks of Alabama Ole Miss getting moved as well. Gonna be some rain in the southeast this weekend. Yeah, not pumped up. It always happens this weekend. This is like the same time, like in 2015, when they had the uh, Georgia-Bama game and the Clemson-Notre Dame game. Mm, that's right, that's right. Notre Dame tried to play through a hurricane that one time at NC State a couple years no, ago. No, Virginia. Well, I think it was NC State as well that they had, yeah, they had multiple games where they did that, and it was it was like comical. It was one of those things that you're like, okay, clearly you should not be playing football right now. So whenever whenever there's talks of these games potentially getting canceled, and I think about the worst case scenario, I just picture that game because it was the exact type of day where you were just like, this is laughable. Like the, the yeah. ball is like the ball can't stay in the same spot. The field looks like a disaster. Hopefully we don't have that this weekend. Fingers Hopefully crossed. Not. And Hopefully Mizzou not being in the I was wondering why the unders dropped so much. I, yes, I tend to think that has something to do with it. Might not be the best weekend for big-time passing offenses. Something maybe to keep in mind if you're getting a little bit of the gambling mix involved this weekend. We have a lot to get to today. Just recorded a great interview with Alyssa Lang of SEC Network. Talked a lot of different stuff about all of her new shows and donuts and deadlifting and all that fun stuff as well. Biceps, we got some bicep workouts as well that we're never going to do. Yeah, um, wasn't really even a, she didn't give me the workout. She just basically told me what I'm not physically able to do. Do a billion pull-ups now. Yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> All right, I, I got it. Uh, but we have our full uh, picks, over-unders, all that fun stuff. And we've got a little news segment in lieu of our usual fourth and wrong. I, I've been kind of thinking of a name for this. Now, Jay Woody proposed this idea about getting some of the, the the questions that we get in the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group to be posed as, as a thread. And we can answer team-specific questions that you, our listeners, come up with. So tentatively speaking, I want to get your take on this. I was thinking of We Love Your Team edition of Fourth and Wrong. Okay. Uh, that, like that's that. a working. That's a working title. We can we can come up with something better. It doesn't roll off the tongue. But it doesn't. Can, yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. That's why you're the title guy. I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. <laughs> the pun guy. Before we get to all of that, though, Marler, um, I'm gonna assume that you don't have to run to Publix or yeah. I mean, it's literally a run. It's down the street for you. Yeah. And go get some some Texas Pete because you should still have at least. Uh, six or a bit, right? We are stocked up uh, beyond belief. I mean, we just, you know, listen, hurricane season, you want to make sure you have all your essentials. So, you know, board up your windows, um, hide your kids, hide your wife, all that stuff. But make sure you go get some Texas Pete first because you don't want to be stuck inside during a hurricane with no flavor. Um, so make sure you do that today. Also, we did this last week and, and we're going to be doing it throughout the season. Uh, would love for you guys to send us pictures of your home gating, your setup, all that, all that stuff. Um, you know where you're watching the game from at home, and send it to us with the hashtag home gating with Texas Pete. So um, we did it last last week. I think on you can still find it. I think on Facebook uh, and Instagram. So make sure you send us those pictures. We're giving away a bunch of stuff throughout the season. We'd really appreciate it. And regardless of all that, still check out TexasPete.com for more fantastic recipes. I'm at this stage right now. We're recording at 3 o'clock, and I ate an early lunch today, and I'm debating if I want to go double back and have some more chicken with Texas Pete. I'm debating. Do it. I might, I might yeah. have to do it. 
Week three is here, and it's going to be interesting in the SEC if this week has been any sort of indication. Um, weather is certainly playing a part in that. Hopefully, weather's not going to be playing as big of a part in the Florida-Texas A&M game. Let's start off there. Florida is a seven-point favorite. By the way, I had Florida at minus six and a half when we Atta guessed boy. this line. You had Florida at eight and a half, but your gut said minus ten. So... Oh. I think we, we had it covered um, for the most part there. Yeah. The over-under I have, the references to Jimbo's past against Florida during his time at FSU, where, by the way, in case you haven't heard, he went 7-1 and one against Florida. I mean, especially in the beginning, I'm sure that's going to go over. Two is the number I have. Yeah, it's, it's going to go way over. Way yeah, over. I mean, like, in the beginning of, I was going to say the episode, but in the beginning of that broadcast, they'll, they'll bring it up multiple times, mainly because they won't be able to bring up any happier notes at the end. Mm, mm, that's wow just gonna just spoiler saying. alert on the on the pick there jeez yeah. um this though is obviously the best florida team that jimbo has faced uh, i would include even that 2012 team in my opinion based yeah, on some of the early doubt. things that we've seen <laughs> yeah. so far definitely the best quarterback that he has faced mm-hmm. as well kyle trask in case you haven't heard named after kyle field grew up in aggie country grew up not being a very big fan of texas as it turns out um the question I have with Trask, because these first two weeks he's looked so good, um, nearly flawless play, how much is he set up for success against this AM defense? Because we saw last week, AM was awful defending the deep ball. John Menchie just scored another long touchdown by the time I finished that sentence. Mike Elko, as we know, well documented, he forces teams to air it out. I have no idea who is going to slow down Kyle Pitts, because I don't think they're giving him any sort of double coverage in the secondary. And that's a mismatch no matter what. Right. So that that matchup in itself would scare me if I'm an A&M fan because, I mean, Kyle Trask is playing on a different sort of level right now. Mel Kuyper had him as his number four quarterback prospect in the 2021 class yeah. behind the likes of Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance of North Dakota State. Big game for Kyle Trask, do you think? Without a doubt. So, and, and I don't have it right in front of me because I don't want to be clicking nonstop, but... The numbers of this this Texas A&M secondary, they gave up last week, man. It was, it was brutal. I mean, yeah. and, and you got some young guys in the, on the back end there, but I, I, Kyle Trash should have a field day. Should have a field day against against this defense. But I tell you what, honestly, and and I know I'm not going to be picking Texas A&M necessarily, but uh, as I alluded to earlier, I, I think there's a really good chance for Texas A&M to keep this close for a like a, a lot of this game. Mm. I mean, I, th- this Florida defense has been they were a lot better in week two i don't trust south carolina to be the benchmark for offensive success at all even though they have you know a new oc and all that i think that kellen mon's going to put up a lot of yards against this defense and i think they're going to be able to put up a lot of points as well um jimbo i don't know if he's got a little vendetta out um because of personal issues with the university of florida but i, I think they I, w- I mean i would um i think they're going to keep it a lot closer than than florida fans will be comfortable with uh Probably, probably late into the third, maybe even the fourth quarter. Jimbo's track record uh, with top five teams that he has faced during his time at AM. Oh boy, not great. 0-7. They have scored 18.7 points per game, lost by an average of 19.1 points per game. No FBS head coach has had more losses to top five teams during that stretch. Not great. Not great. Not great. No. Mm, that is a, yeah. I mean, 
So I, I read a stat when I was going through all this stuff, and it was more for gambling, but it was still alarming. And, and you look at this, uh, it's not all Jimbo's fault by any means. But when you have, they've lost 25 of the past 30 home games as an underdog. 25 of the past 30. They are also 0-10 in their last 10 as an underdog at home. Um, and they, uh, what was the last one? They are 2-8-1 in their last 11 games as a home dog of seven points or less. So not even like blowouts, seven points or less. Not, not good. I'm going to say this. Oh I have this weird gut feeling, this weird, weird feeling, where if you're asking me who's going to win more games out of 10, I'd probably say Florida's probably going to win eight out of 10 times. I think Florida's the better yeah. team. Florida is the better team. I love the job that Dan Mullen has done in year three as opposed to the job that Jimbo Fisher has done at this point. And that's going to be Good a popular enough. topic of conversation as well. But I just have this weird feeling that AM, the defensive line, is going to frustrate an improved Florida offensive line. And AM desperately trying to avoid that one and two start. Maybe it's a little bit different that it's at home. Florida has been really, really bad at tackling in the open field. Yep. And even Bama had its struggles with Aeneas Smith, who, yes, he had the drop in that game, also had the tiptoe on the sideline where he somehow stayed in bounds. And him catching passes out of the backfield could be the difference for this AM offense. I think Florida ultimately, as you alluded to earlier, struggles to contain Kellen Mond. I think that becomes a big part of AM being able to keep these drives alive, where it's third and seven, third and eight, and all of a sudden AM is able to, to extend a drive and something like that. When you think you have them contained, you think you have these guys covered, that's the dangerous area that I think this Florida defense can be had. So I think it ends up being another one of these random things that we don't necessarily see coming. I think AM not only covers. I think AM wins outright. I'm going to stick with that. I know. I know. Because, All right, look, me, okay. look, hey, hey, I still have Florida making the playoff. And losing this game and making the playoff, I think Florida's going to beat Georgia. I still have that penciled you're in. Just, you're sounding crazier than I don't know. I'm so. It's 2020, man. It's 2020. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Then, like, I, I think this Florida defense could struggle with AM and Kellen Mond, like, a little bit. But the other side of that, and the question you asked first, I, I thought you were joking. Will Kyle Trask be able to put up some yards against this defense? Shoot Here's some numbers from this defense. They are ranked last in the SEC and third to last in the entire country in opponent quarterback completion percentage at 71.4%. They are also dead last in the SEC and entire country in yards per attempt with how many big plays they gave up at 10.4 yards per attempt for an opposing quarterback. They are really bad. I mean, like, really bad in, in the secondary. And Kyle Trask, like, listen, I think, I think Florida's defense will – it might be something like you saw last week where it, it doesn't seem like it's a close game, but something happens or there's like a fumble or, you know, a pick six or whatever, and it, somehow at one point it's tied. Florida's still going to beat them, and they're going to cover the spread. In my okay. Dan Mullen is – so these numbers right here. Dan Mullen is 6-2 and two against the spread uh, on the road in his last eight SEC games. A&M hasn't covered in eight of their last 12 under Jimbo. Marler, I'm going to tell you something that you tell me all the time. Connor, you're using logic and reason. This yes, is sir. not the place for that. 
This is 2020. This is the year of random. This is the year in which things don't make sense. And I, I gave you a couple of reasons for why I think it's going to happen. But ultimately, I just think AM is going to have one of those days. And just when we think we have this conference figured out, just when we're talking about how great Florida is with the Kyles and this Heisman race, and I think Kyle Trask is going to put up big numbers. Don't get me yeah. wrong. But I think AM is going to win in a shootout. And it's going to be one of those games where we're just left scratching our heads like, what? 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 How? That, that doesn't yeah. make any sense. We're off to a, a, a great start. Great start. Great start right so let's now. continue that with a game that we know everybody is going to be locked into. The game of the week in the SEC. It's South Carolina, Vandy. Uh, uh, let's let's that talk That line quickly. is way too high. South Carolina is a 13-point favorite. I had predicted South Carolina minus 11. You said South Carolina minus 7.5. The over-under that I have for this one, Shy Smith catches. The over-under has got to be at 10 at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't take it if it's a 10, but still, I would. I would. That's a that's a good number. He is the offense, bottom he's, line. He's tied for sixth in FBS with 22 catches. Just two games played, two games, and he's already well. at that. Uh, this is the type of game where I think we see more of these mismatches. Like Xavier Leggett's going to get more involved. Maybe, dare I say, the two quarterbacks who are playing receiver for South Carolina yeah, could potentially help to carry and join Luke Doty. Just a thought. Will Muschamp One of the maybe... things that I've always said about college football is that it's it's better for your team, and honestly your job, if you play your best players. Well, that's, like, that's like one of the I main don't know. things. I, that's, that, again, Marler, that's logic. That's reason. Yeah. This is not the place for that. Will Muschamp never uses that. <laughs> Either way, though, Kevin Harris should have a big day. Thought he was really good against Florida. Think that he should still be able to get going against this Vandy defense who really struggled to be able to slow down John Emery this past weekend yeah. against LSU. My question is, is this. If not now, then when is South Carolina going to have anything resembling a comfortable win in 2020? Comfortable? I ah, that's a oof, that that word alone is tough. Um, I mean, I don't think they will necessarily. Like, I don't. Not everyone gets to do that. I mean, this Will Muschamp is four zero against Vandy, and he's covered the spread in all four games. Ooh. So there's that. Um, it, you know, maybe maybe Vandy's four and eleven in their last fifteen games against the spread. So maybe maybe there's something to be said for that. I mean, Vegas always knows. Like, the why is the line twelve and a half? You know I what mean, I mean? Like. I'm still going to take South Carolina cover. Still going to take yeah. South Carolina yeah. cover. I, mean, I, I, I just don't think to. Vandy's that good. And I, I think that what we saw last week against LSU, I don't know what happened with A&M week one, but what we saw last week with LSU I think is more you know, what we're used to from that from Vandy. I think we'll wouldn't see it, that this weekend. Wouldn't it be telling if A&M beat Florida and won by more than five points? And then that would just make no sense. <laughs> no, at all. None. All right, a game that I'm really looking forward to. Storylines galore in this one. Arkansas and Auburn. Auburn is a 14-point favorite. This line continues to move, so this is a very tentative line. I originally predicted Auburn at minus 15. You had Auburn at minus 11.5. It's going to end up being in that two-touchdown range, it looks yeah. like. The over-under that I have, Chad Morris references. I set the over-under at 6.5. Yeah, it's going to be all day, and that's going to be real awkward. He, I you mean, know, he better hope Auburn wins. 
I can't believe I forgot to make Chad Morris references myself when we talked about this on Sunday when we were doing guest lines and stuff. Yeah. And I said it was the Gus Bowl, and it's like, no, you idiot, it's the Chad Morris Bowl. What I mean, are you talking about? I mean, both of them, and, and it's, it's so weird to me because it's like, it, it just everything about those two cracks me up because it, it just reminds me of, like, two dads at, like, the dugout club and just talking gossip and talking shop and, and like, the fact that we have to constantly talk about their high school careers while they are they have already been in college for how long? Shout out Springdale. Good God. Yeah, uh, people forget that they have uh, roots in high school football. Um, I'm sure that won't be discussed yeah. at all. This is the game where even the pro Chad Morris crowd can turn. And there, there are still some people there, left in that crowd. Yes. Oh, really? Tebow, before the start of the year, was hyping this up. Taj Boyd, who, of course, played in his what? offense oh, yeah. at Clemson. Okay. That's the connection there. And he said that Bo Nix is going to have a monster year. There are still some people that are of the belief that Chad Morris is an elite offensive mind in this sport. I am not one of those people, but I can at least acknowledge that those people exist. Can you imagine? Just imagine. Think about this. If Auburn loses this game the pandemonium that would come from Auburn fans. Because oh, he'd be gone. Gus would be gone immediately. Oh, you think Gus would be gone? I think, I think. I mean, yeah, well. They, I don't they know love, Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, Chad Morris would be gone. But, like, and they've done that before. In 2008, they fired their, they fired Tony Franklin in the middle of the year because they brought in this, this guy to run this gimmicky offense, and, and he started recruiting only, like, players for his offense. And there was they were, I swear to God, every single one of them was a two- or three-star that was, like, 5'9", 170 pounds. Every single one of them. And then they fired him mid-year. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know if that happened to Chad Morris. Um, their offense is not good. Can like, you imagine if Chad Morris became the guy who got fired before the end of year two without a major scandal or anything like that as an SEC head coach and then got fired as an SEC offensive coordinator after three games. That would be that's impressive. That's that's yeah. shooting the moon as a coach. I mean, I, you got to tip your cap to the guy if he's able to pull that. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. You know, at the same time though, the optics of this game are bad because Chad Morris needs needs to have this is the ultimate Chad Morris flex game. This has oh, to be God. This this has to be the type where the type of game where all those concerns that you saw from the Auburn offense this past weekend against Georgia. And Georgia's the perfect team that mm-hmm. if, you, if you've if you got issues, they're going to come out against Georgia's right. defense. They're too disciplined, of course. But if there was ever a game that Chad Morris needs to be able to put up 40 points and have Bo Nix look like a potential all-SEC quarterback, it is this one, ironically yes. enough. My question, too, is how does Arkansas handle success? You, you talk about a program that hadn't won an SEC game in over a 1,000 days. How do those Arkansas players stay focused on execution? This is a really good test for Sam Pittman. They've been so disciplined so far. They allowed just 3.15 yards per carry with Barry Odom's defense. That is darn good. And a guy who's been making those, yeah, I mean, 3.15 yards carry for Arkansas? Arkansas has been a doormat when it comes to rushing defense the past couple of years. Yeah. It's been terrible. It's been terrible. Okay, so they, the next thing they need to do is we got to stop giving them, you know, like qualifiers and like, yeah, it's good for Arkansas, you know? That is ranked. 3.15 yards per carry allowed is, is yeah, good. Yeah, it's actually sixth in the conference. It's amazing. Yeah. Bad. That's, I mean, for what it is. Um, Joe Fouché, by the way, don't know if you saw this quote. You'll need to see, you'll, you need to, to hear this because I'm, I'm surprised that I haven't hogs? heard. Yeah. Um, yeah. This was via Jordan Black. 
So Joe Fouché, who had two interceptions last weekend against Mississippi State, he was asked about possibly playing in the rain on Saturday. Rain's the big storyline right. of the week across the SEC. So he said, Eagles, when it's raining and cold, they go inside. You know, a hog, we love that mud. We love that water. That's what we're going to be on Saturday, some wild hogs. Joe Fouché, let's go. I love it. Um, yeah, so that that defense, that, that's great. I think we talked about it last week. I don't think Barry Odom is still getting enough um, credit that he deserves. After, we're trying, after man. He's, yeah, we're trying. Real. But um, you talk about the run defense. All of this is a problem for Arkansas, all of it. Because, I mean, for, for Auburn. Auburn is is second to last in the SEC in, in, in yards per game. They, they didn't run the ball with anybody other than Tank Bigsby, Tank Bigsby last weekend. I know Sean Shivers is banged up. Right. But, but still. He's not, he's not like a go-to back. I mean, he's, he's, not. he's like a he's scat not. back that you, like, for misdirection, stuff like that. But what's the most concerning thing? I said this last week. The most concerning thing about, about this offense right now and, and how it looked against Kentucky, not really against Georgia because I feel like, you know, that was never going to be a successful game. Georgia's the best defense in the country. But – they are averaging 2.5 yards per carry, and they are ranked second to last in, in rushing offense in a, in a Gus Malzahn team, right? Averaging 65 yards a game. You know the only team they're ahead of? Mm, Mississippi State. Oh, okay. And they don't believe in running. Running is a right. sin it's with the, the air raid. Yeah. I, I just I think there's some problems on this, this offense, and I think, you know, I think the numbers, I don't want to give too much credit to the numbers because I, I do think that, a lot of that is skewed from playing Georgia. But yeah, for sure. the numbers weren't good against Kentucky either. Yeah, and I mean, and I said that going into last week, it's like you, you could just tell there was this false sense of confidence going into that, that weekend because, you know, they had won by double digits, they beat a ranked team, all that good stuff, but it was not, it was not good. It did not look good. Yeah, the thing that I brought up and why I was a little bit skeptical of that Kentucky performance, why I thought it was a little bit skewed was because they had 15 points going into the fourth quarter, and then they had two drives that were of a combined 51 yards. They were they took over at like the 27 and the 24 or something like yeah. that. And it's like, okay, yeah, I mean, I get it. You scored 29 points. Seth Williams made some really good plays. Bo Nix had a better second half. But at the same time, it's like, are you really sustaining drives? Are you really moving the ball downfield? Are you benefiting from a 3-0 turnover margin? And are you able to take advantage of some short fields? Like, that's right. more of what it, it felt like. So this is a, a very important game, especially for that Auburn offensive line that was just beat badly in every possible way by Georgia. Uh, Rakeem Boyd, Traylon Burks, both banged up. Sam Pittman said, hoping to be able to get them back and ready to go. Uh, my pick is a little bit weighted on Felipe against this Auburn defense. I, I would worry about that. If I am... If I am what, what about their defense? Stetson Bennett just went became the, the number one rated QBR passer in the country against this defense. Fair, fair. This defense I, is not good. We can't keep saying they're good just because they have Kevin Steele. No, I, I know. I, I understand that. I, they, getting Smoke Monday back, I think, will help them as well. I, I, I'm not saying that that was the reason that, that Stetson Bennett went yeah. off in that game. I think they'll be better. And I think that if Rakeem Boyd isn't at full go, you're putting a little bit on on Felipe Franks to be able to move the chains, and I'm not crazy about that. So, yeah, I actually I think that Auburn is going to bounce back this week. I think after everybody telling them how bad they are, I think they end up covering in a game that might stay close for a bit, but maybe it's a, a late Felipe pick six or something like that that sort of – turns the tide in this one and Auburn is able to to get back on the right track. So Auburn Auburn's offense, their scoring offense. 
They averaged five and a half points per game in the first half of games. Mm. That is fourth worst in the country. Not good. Not good. Uh, like I, I, we can't. I cannot stress enough how alarming it is that Auburn is only averaging sixty-five yards a game rushing. That is a big deal. And, I, and again, I know they played Georgia. That, like before that, before that game against Kentucky, where they didn't have hundred yards rushing, it was only the ninth time in eighty-five regular season games under Gus Malzahn that they did not reach hundred yards rushing. And four of those teams were named Clemson and Alabama. So I just I, th- I think this is that's a staple of his offense. And we we talked about it, how it looked good from. You know, Bo Nix being able to drop back and all that kind of stuff. And you still have to establish the run game. You just absolutely have to. And and if, like, is, are they going to be one-dimensional and just be a passing offense? Like, that would be – Bo Nix is not the quarterback for that system. They don't have the offensive so, line to do that. No, well, I mean, and the offensive line looks really good against Kentucky with, like, you know, 30 dropbacks, only two pressures. Georgia's a different animal. But, but yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, four new starters, I, I you cannot drop back and throw the ball 40 times a game. Um, I – I don't like where, where Auburn's at right now. I, I really like what, what uh, Barry Odom's doing, and, and I love what Pittman, how like, enthusiastic and how much energy he's brought to the program. Auburn is 4-0. Um, I'm sorry, hold on. They are 5-0, and and they were 4-1 and against the spread as a mm-hmm. double-digit favorite in 2019, covered four out of five times. They're also 8-1 and against the spread in their last night at home. Uh, here's what concerns me the most. Auburn's 4-0 and straight up and 4-0 against the spread in their last four against Arkansas, all by 31 points or more. Uh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, I think I think it's tough. It's going to be really tough to evaluate Arkansas based on last year's stuff, and that was something that we brought up yeah. with Mississippi State as well. Mississippi State took them to the woodshed last year, and it's like you know the, the, the Brandon Walker point that was brought up of like, hey, look, I saw these two teams play last year. There's no way that they're flipping that that quickly, yeah. especially with what we saw from Mississippi State week one, but I, I think the identity is different, and I, I think that with a team that's gone through that much change, maybe it's a little bit harder to look at some of that 2019 stuff, but I, I, I agree with you that I do think that, that Arkansas is going to be able to do some things to stay alive in this game, especially if Auburn does does stuff like, you know, run it to... So the play that you brought up the other day about the, the gadget play with Anthony Schwartz yeah. and about how Georgia had just snuffed it out, and it was like the ultimate we're-not-falling-for-your-window-dressing Chad right. Morris, Gus Malzahn type of play. And, like, two plays before that where they're on the seven-yard line or something like that, and Bonix is running this keeper. They're on the, the, the right hash, and they're trying to run this keeper to the right. And it's not even a play design. It was just, we think we can beat Georgia to the spot. And it's like, that is fundamentally insane to think that you could possibly have success in that shrunken of a field. And when I see things like that, I'm like, oh yeah, Chad Morris has lost his marbles. There's no way this guy has a clue anymore. There's no way. And so I, mean, I, have, I, have, I have doubts also, about that. That's the whole offense where it's like, you know what, we're going to do the old swinging gate. We're doing the swinging gate on the kick. If they don't line up, we're going for two. Like everything is is like, I I don't just line up and play football, guys. I, yeah. I just you know what I mean. Like, and I understand that's part of the offense, and the the two point conversion became a, a huge factor, like you know, in their favor in that Kentucky game. But Jesus Christ, if, like if you like, I don't want to see all the gimmicky stuff if you can't just line up and run the football. I mean, like you're you're struggling very badly. Like like, Bo Nix looked like he he had just got out of like war. When he, that's not good. Like uh, when he what went to the sideline. Uh, the mic. Oh, the mic. Oh, we're still working. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, I just they need they need to figure out. I don't want to say their identity, but they need to figure out what they're good at on offense and hone in on that. And usually, it's running the ball. 
And, and I tell you what, outside of Seth Williams, I don't see who's going to be getting the ball every receiver. Like, because they're not giving it to Anthony Schwartz as much as they should. All right, fair enough. Let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with the picks for the rest of this week three slate in the SEC. If you are not yet, you should definitely be subscribing to the Saturday Football Newsletter. We always talk about this. Adam Spencer does such a great job putting it together. All you have to do is go to saturday.football, and you're going to get all of your college football news in one place. It's going to show up in your email every single morning. And if you just want the headlines, the big things of what's going on in college football with some commentary as well, Adam's going to have all of that covered. You want to be an informed college football fan. Maybe you're not the type of person that wants to sift through social media. Maybe you're trying to back off social media a little bit. Totally understand that. All you got to do is go to Saturday.Football, subscribe to the Saturday Football Newsletter, and it's going to be your one-stop shop. I promise you, you're going to think to yourself, how did I not do this before? The Saturday football newsletter is the best. Go do that right now. LSU in Mizzou, a game that has already changed locations. For all the people that are making their jokes about Mizzou doesn't fit geographically in the SEC, you know what? Stick that in your pipe and smoke yeah, it because Mizzou's welcome, not going to be as impacted by Hurricane Delta. So what do you have to say about that? You know, well, there's people. a lot of people that are impacted by that. that, that I, is by the way, yes. Hopefully everybody that's impacted that, stay safe. Please recommend taking all safety protocols seriously. Definitely do that. LSU is a 21-point favorite as of right now. Now, that is subject to change, I am sure. And I know that our friends at MyBookie will be on top of that line. Not sure in a year like this how much that really changes. I know I saw people that were complaining about you know Florida not wanting to reschedule and all that. It's different in a year like this because you don't have the max capacity crowds. Right. Giving up a home game isn't the same thing in a year like this. So I, something to, something to keep in mind. The over-under that I have for this game is Eric Gilbert catches, and I set the over-under at four for the true freshman. It'll probably be right on that, I would assume. I mean, has he had more than that? He had, he's, he's had ex exactly that each of his first two games, and I bring that up because there's been a lot of talk about him in the preseason that this is the next big thing in the SEC. Yeah. And I was curious kind of about, you know, because we talked to people who in the past, and I can't remember, somebody that we brought on, made this great point about playing the tight end position, especially in the SEC, is so difficult early on in your career. And that's why you see a lot of these guys you know, take red shirts. They have to learn how to block. A lot of them haven't had to do that yet. Yeah. And some of these responsibilities are really difficult with all of what's asked of the tight end position. So I compared it to some of the great tight ends that we've seen in the SEC. Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry, uh, Alberto, O.J. Howard, Hayden Hurst, guys like that. Gilbert has four catches in each of his first two games. Evan Ingram had two games with four catches as a true freshman. Hunter Henry as a true freshman, three games. Alberto redshirted, Irv, Irv Smith Jr. and O.J. Howard each had zero. Hayden Hurst, by the way, who was a 22-year-old freshman, first-round pick, um, he had eight catches all of that freshman year. So what I'm saying is that Eric Gilbert is still, like, even if he doesn't score a touchdown every week, the fact that he's even doing that that kind of says a lot about just how ready this guy is for the big time. Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely argue the fact that um, some of those other teams had a lot of other weapons, and they had a lot of, uh, like, O.J. Howard didn't step on the field as a freshman. Um, so, I mean, I get what you're saying, but yeah, like, I think, 
I am I am surprised. I think he had like four catches for like what, like forty three yards, something like that, the other day, or maybe it was like less than that. I I thought he was going to be a bigger red zone threat. Um, I know he had the touchdown against Mississippi State, but I mean, like I thought they would be dialing up plays, like showing off his athleticism. So I was kind of surprised with that. But it's also a team that like, you know after week one, they kind of got to get their you know their bearings straight after after uh, what do you call it after that that game against uh, Mississippi State. So maybe the offense will be clicking out like I, I know I would come out like the following week and I want to get back to like what worked last year you know throwing the ball downfield getting to, t- to Terrace Marshall all those kind of things um so maybe it's something that'll develop over time throughout the season I guess I don't know what you do with him from a defensive standpoint um and it's it's not quite the Kyle Pitts thing I, mm-hmm. I think Kyle Pitts on a weekly basis is kind of interesting to, to discuss what, what's going to happen with coverage. Uh, as, as we talked about last week where I'm like, you have to put JC Horn on him. Right. And then yeah. sure enough, that's what South Carolina does. And they, they try and shadow him throughout the entire game. And even there were times where it didn't work. He actually had a quieter second half, but I kind of think that if you're Mizzou, you have to be able to cover a guy like him. I just have this weird feeling that he's going to be targeted a lot and he's going to have a lot of potential in a day like this where maybe they don't necessarily take those 40, you know, those 40-yard passes downfield as much and you look for a guy like him in the seam. Nick Bolton covering Eric Gilbert, potentially? We know how good he is in coverage. Yeah, I mean, I would think so. I mean, well, he's got to be, I don't know, he's got to be in the box too, though. I don't, I don't think, would be, think. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Will be. Um, Eli Drinkwitz, only new coach in the SEC left without a win. Don't yeah. think he gets it this weekend. Not exactly the best matchup. As we know, Connor Bazelak is going to be getting the start for Mizzou. The one question that I have, and this is, you know, this is kind of typical in a year like this, and we're going to ask this type of stuff a lot. Will we see a conservative LSU offense ahead of the Florida showdown? That's the one thing that gives me a little bit of pause on that 21. I think I'm still I'm still going to take LSU to cover 21, yeah. which is a lot because I think Mizzou's a little bit of a mess right now and they're struggling with some depth issues. But is there potentially a little bit of this, hey, we don't want to come out and show everything? That, that'd that be the only thing that would prevent me from saying Mizzou's going to be yeah, able to stick around. They, they had a good week last week, you know, especially on offense. But, I mean, I think, again, especially with how bad week one was, you got to get, like, reps You're when right. you can. You know what I mean? So I, I don't think they will as much. They probably won't show. There's there's wrinkles to, like, to the offense, I'm sure. And maybe, maybe they involve Eric Gilbert. I don't know. Um, that they won't show, but I, I don't think they'll be too too conservative. I think LSU does win convincingly, um, even if they they have you know a, a weird week like this where you're changing location and stuff like that. But are you, so you're taking LSU to cover? Yeah. So and the, and I think the one of the best bets of the week is the uh, the uh, first half line. I think it's at ten and a half. Ten and a half. Okay, that is, and that's been that's been your go-to. I feel like you've made more money off of first half bets with teams that we view as you know contenders or potentially high powered offenses. Mm-hmm. That is like your favorite thing to be able to. Yeah, do. I'm, I'm pissed that I can't find the team totals right now. They haven't been up yet. Um, also, I didn't mention this earlier. Maybe the best bet I think of a week: um, the first half over in that A and M game against Florida. It's only 28, mm. so I like that as well. Facebook Live Saturday morning. Yeah. Uncle Chris is going to have all of the team totals for that. Some last-minute gambling advice as well. The game that we know Marler is going to be watching even closer than the MLB playoff game that he's watching right now during that this podcast. It's 2-0, yeah, of course. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Alabama 
as of right now, is scheduled to play in Oxford on Saturday. We'll monitor, of course, Hurricane Delta and figure out what exactly that is going to look like. Who knows? They've talked about potentially rescheduling that for Friday, for Sunday, for November 7th, right ahead of the LSU game. Ugh. Who knows as of right now? But if they do play this game, Alabama is scheduled to be a 23-point favorite. We both said Alabama minus 17. You actually had Bama minus 17.5. I was way under on this one. Uh, the over-under that I have, Ole Miss, or no, not Ole Miss, but just total touchdowns. I set the over-under at 9.5. You, you know what that line opened at? Was the line 20, was it 24? No, no, I'm sorry, the, the over, the over-under. 72.5. No. So I, I saw it, I saw it came down to 74.5 on Monday. It was up and it opened at, um, at 79.5. Ooh, that's a lot of half. points. Yeah. Oh, um, my God. I mean, obviously, like I said, it came down. I think it's at 66, 64 right now. But so I was having a conversation with somebody today on Twitter, and it was actually really good, some points he made about how Bama's defense is struggling, but they're not getting as much flack as, as Florida's and, and blah, 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 blah. Lane Kiffin's going to put up 400 yards of offense without a doubt on Alabama. I think so, too. It's, I mean, like, I, I don't think it's even in question. Um, so – I don't know, how, like, like how many points does that translate into? Like, what, what is it, like, again, he is enough of an a-hole that he is going to try and prove a point because for whatever reason, after trying to help resurrect his career, he's still bitter about God knows what. Um, so I think he's going to try to put up as many points as he can. In his defense, you've got a team that you're still trying to figure out. You want to get as many reps as possible. No, that's not what he's going to do. The- yeah, sure. I mean, this is the best defense that you face so far to be able to get reps against the Nick Saban defense. That's actually going to factor into my pick later on as well. But wanted to hit on a couple of things here that I think are, are worth bringing up. Our, our good friend with College Game Day, Bear Felica, had this great stat. As a top five team under Saban, four times an unranked team lost by a touchdown or less. That's Saban at Alabama. The closest such loss... 12 to 10 loss, the 12 to 10 win, I should say. Uh, Lane's Tennessee squad, 2009. Terrence Cody game. People forget about that. That's definitely going to get, we're going to get a clip of that. So I'm confused by, wait, hold on. So what was the stat? As a top five team under Saban, four times, there have been four instances in which an unranked team has lost by a touchdown or less. Ole Miss is unranked, of course. Okay, Okay. two Bama. Got you. Two Bama, two Bama. So what are the odds that, um, that both both of these teams have more than that in the first quarter, twelve to ten. I'm, I'm oh, going to say that yeah. That's, the first that's quarter happen. over is is only fourteen and a half, and I'm I'm going to put oh. all the money on that, all the money hmm. on that. The the first oh. the first half over is is uh, what was it? It was um, thirty eight. Which is <sighs> like it, like it's a lot. I don't Bama's Bama's first half team total could be thirty five, and I would I would, I would buy it immediately. <laughs> I mean, this defense is terrible. Yes, yes. Ole Miss ranks 73, and number 73 out of 74 FBS teams in run defense. Here's a Stump Marler question. Who ranks 74th right now? In run defense? It's not. You, I would give you 20 guesses and you wouldn't get this. I looked it up earlier today. I can't, I can't remember what it is. Is it something like... No, I, I, don't, I don't know. Navy. A oh, service yeah. team. 
Yeah, weird. 2020. Yeah. Just can't figure it out. Um, what are the odds that uh, that that Sark elects for a whole lot more Najee Harris in this game? Because yeah. you want to keep this Ole Miss offense out of rhythm. I don't really think that you're going to be able to contain him for 60 minutes anyways, but um, I definitely think that this is more of a 2016 feel than 2017-2018 where Ole Miss just did not have the bodies to stay on the field with Alabama, and it was a bloodbath. Yeah, I, I mean, I think... I mean, they have a good offense. I mean, they have a, a legitimately very good offense. And I think that when you look at um, what Kiffin is going to do, like, again, the passing game, I, you know, I think they're going to be able to put up a lot of yards. They'll probably put up some points and all that kind of stuff as well. Bama's, if there's one knock on the offense, it's been the run game. And, and I think that they're going to have to get that going. So I don't know if you're going to see as many yards Mac Jones touchdowns, whatever you want to say, as, as you would, like, you know, last week or even what Kyle Trask did, because I think they're going to try to get the run game going, and, and, and that'll be the most important thing. Yeah. Um, by the way, shameless plug, Matt Corral feature coming to SDS on Friday. Uh, really fun conversation with him, discussed a lot of different things. Lane, yeah. uh, his hair, uh, got to, we, we got to figure oh, yeah. out the, the reason why, why all of that happened. So uh, definitely check that out on Friday. But Matt Corral, I, I became much more intrigued by him as a human being spending yeah. 20 minutes on the phone with him. Very, very interesting dude overall. And, and some of the Rich Rod phrases I'm going to have to bring oh, up. Oh, God. Uh, great, great stuff. Very, very good stuff. Did not necessarily do all the, the coach speak type stuff. Um, so definitely be on the watch for that. I, I'm taking Ole Miss to cover for this reason. I think ahead of Georgia, Bama playing mm-hmm. this game when I think I think Bama's going to get out to you know a two three score lead something like that. We have praised this Ole Miss offense for just being like yeah we know the defense sucks we're going to continue to go out there and play and we're going to continue to run hurry up we're going to run our offense with tempo that's what they're going to do and is there a little bit of this a little bit of this Alabama wanting to not necessarily do anything stupid ahead of Georgia at the end of this game in the fourth quarter when Ole Miss is still treating it like their Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, yeah, another part of that is how much does Bryce Young play? How much do the backups play? It's uh, a good question. You know, just for injuries and stuff like that. Uh, you know, everywhere I've looked, everyone has, like, the trendy pick is for Ole Miss to cover, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, here are some numbers for you. Oh, boy. Bama... <laughs> Bama's averaging 31.5 first-half points per game. Ole Miss's defense is allowing 24.5. Not good. That is third worst in all of FBS. Then you also have um, this pass defense is ranked 11th. Actually, Bama's, Bama's pass defense is ranked 11th in, in total yards allowed, and Ole Miss is like 12th. The difference between most of that is the the completion percentage from Ole Miss is god-awful. It also is 71.4%. There's three teams in the SEC, A&M, Kentucky, and Ole Miss, that are all at the very bottom, allowing over 70% completed passes from opposing quarterbacks. Gosh, that's bad. It's so bad. Um, they also, they have, um, they have the, wait, hold on, I'm trying to, nine and a half yards per attempt, but they've only allowed two 30 Plus yard passes. I, I think this. I mean, they're going to be they're going to be gashed the entire day. I think Bama's going to try to run the ball down their throats and all that. I, Bama's going to be up by probably twenty four in the first half, and I think they'll let the you know put the foot off the gas. I will say that Bama has averaged scoring sixty two points per game in the last three meetings against Ole Miss. Mm. Sixty two. 
It's a lot of points. So if you're going to say they're not going to cover, just know that that's a real number out there that's happened for three years in a row at Ole Miss. I'm, I'm taking Bama. I'll take, I'll take Ole Miss to cover just because Lane's an a-hole. <laughs> just do the fun thing and take the over. Just root for points. Oh, my God. Like yeah, without a doubt. If anybody bets the under on this, just, I mean. Yeah, come on. What, are you, with you? what are you doing here? Um, Mississippi State going on the road to face Kentucky. Kentucky is a two-point favorite. Now, I accurately predicted that I would be most wrong about this spread, and I had Mississippi State as a five-point favorite. Um, so way yeah, wrong this is, on this that. Is kind of surprising. This is, this is weird. You had them uh, as a two and a half to pick them in that range for Mississippi State. And instead, Kentucky is the two-point favorite. I set the over-under for references to Tim Couch at 1.5. Keep in mind, Tim Couch oh, yeah. is the former number one overall pick that a certain Mike Leach helped win. Well, helped get to that point with his air raid offense back in 97-98. That's going to get brought up a couple of times, i got to think. Um, I'm sure, yeah, because, I mean, especially with this offense now and KJ Costello, I, I think I'll take the over on that. I, I'm shocked this number has moved still in favor of Kentucky. Me too. Me too. I don't understand what's why that's happening, um, but it is. So I, I don't know if Vegas is trying to tell us something, but I think it's, I saw it up to two and a half to three. That's... That's one of those lines that I look at and I say, because it's exactly the opposite of what I originally thought it was going to be, Vegas knows something and I should just be like, yeah, I should just pick in favor of that and lean into it. Lean into yeah, it. Yeah, there you go. You're just learning. Just not ask questions. Just just, just trust Vegas to figure it out. Um, Leach brought up a great point, and he's been kind of banging this drum all week. It's, it's fair. He says, drop eight is nothing new. Um, if, if it was yeah. a new thing, we would have been out of business decades ago. And right. he's exactly right. Not everyone is going to be as prepared as Arkansas was. Mississippi State still needs experience, still needs reps in this offense, seeing other defenses, learning how to find the soft spots in the zone. That's what Mike Leach's teams have learned how to be able to do. That's what his quarterbacks have been able to learn how to read. Now, I think that Mississippi State isn't necessarily going to be as dominant as they were in week one. They're not going to be as bad as they were in week two. But Kentucky is the type of team that I think is sensing that desperation of how they, they just cannot afford to drop to 0-3 at this point. That's the type of team that they I would really worry about. Yeah, I mean, with the competition that's coming up, that's that's perfectly fair as well could spiral in a hurry it, with such good competition coming up. It's a players-led team in many ways. Everybody you talk to around that program really talks about that element and how it's unique uh, compared to other teams that they've been around. I wouldn't be surprised if Terry Wilson stepped up and had a big game against a, a Mississippi State defense that's been a little bit, little bit hit or miss. It's been better than I expected. Kylan Hill being back for the Kentucky game, I think, is going to be important for Mississippi State and for KJ Costello. I think, man, now I'm going back and forth. You know what? Do I take Kentucky to cover for a third straight week? Talk me into it. No. Okay, I'll, all right, I'm back on Mississippi State, even though the line is, is making me say otherwise. You, it sounds like everything you said sounds like you're going with Kentucky, and you think that Kentucky's going to win because Mississippi State's defense is not that great and Terry Wilson will have a big day and, and so again what I'm going to do here is and I'm going to read off some stats and facts to you. All right that's what I need um, that's what I need right now. Yes so 
Mississippi State's defense does not look good. What does what does Kentucky do well on offense? Besides Kentucky fumble? establishes a run all day. Yeah, that too. So they establish the run all on the day. goal line. Who has the number one rushing defense in in the SEC? Zach Arnett, Mississippi State. No, Mississippi State. Oh. Um, I'm sorry, sorry, it's the second best. They have the sixth best rushing defense in the country. I was going to say, Georgia's, Georgia's got yeah. the best right now. Georgia's number one across the board in every yeah. single major category. And it, I wrote down, by the way, it's not even close, whoever's in second. Mississippi State is giving up 71.5 rushing yards per game. That is sixth best in the country, second best in the conference. Zero rushing touchdowns so far. Mm-hmm. Zero. They're averaging, they're giving up 1.91 yards per carry. That's why I scoffed at you earlier about the Arkansas thing, because I looked this up earlier today. 1.91 yards per carry is the best rush defense, you know, for yards per carry in the country. Mississippi State is the best rush defense in the country in that stat. Um, and they're also, like, teams are averaging 37.5 attempts a game against them. It's not like they're not running the ball, and that's why they have, like, yeah. low sets. So, Kentucky is really good at running the football and fumbling. Mississippi State, this, this this plays right into what they're good at. On the other side, Kentucky's secondary is garbage. And they got lit up by, by Miss, uh, Ole Miss last week. It hasn't been the best start for Kelvin Joseph. Not the best start. No, not at all. I, I So, everything you look at, they're ranked third to last in, again, the, the yards per attempt, over almost 10 yards per attempt from opposing quarterbacks. They're ranked last in in opposing quarterback rating as well, and it's that is like that number is astronomical. It's like my weight. It is I mean, it's way on up there, Connor. It is not good. So they they also ranked last in the SEC in completion percentage and touchdowns allowed. They they've had they have no interceptions. They've allowed seven touchdowns. Mississippi State is going to have a field day against this team, and it's going to look a lot like that that first game against uh, LSU. I think they're going to get right. blown out. Vegas is dumb. We're right. Mississippi I mean, State covers wins outright. You talk. They were a seven-point favorite at home last week. This is true. Yeah. This is true. Tennessee, Georgia, the real game of the week in the SEC. Georgia, as of right now, is a twelve and a half point favorite. I guess Georgia minus fourteen. You had it opening at eleven and a half. So I'll give you the the nod on that one. I set the over under at Cade made references four. Uh, yeah. I mean, his name's going to get mentioned regardless because he's, you know, going to be starting. That'll be fun. I mean, how many times do you have to bring up the finger stuff? God, I hope, At I once, hope probably. Endless amount. Once. Um, not every day that you talk about, you know, your dad putting a finger on ice. Just doesn't doesn't happen. You, no. If that's a nugget, you have to turn to that at least once. Yeah. And with his play, you would think that they would be talking about him a little bit more. Another good Bear Felica stat Tennessee currently has FBS's longest active losing streak against the top 10. It's at 33. 33. Only six of those games have been within single scores. Real bad. Real bad. The next closest team, by the way, my alma mater, Indiana University, 25. The next closest in the SEC, Vandy at 19. That is unreal. It's almost double Vandy's. Think about it's that. It's almost so, double Vandy. And they play in the same division. Um, so, oh, I'm pretty sure also it, it's either, it's like six total of those 33. I, I can't remember if it's, it's by a touchdown or less, but I want to say it's actually like single digits. Man, that is, that's hard to do. You, you can almost just catch that one game. That one game. Yeah. That's not supposed to be 
that long. Somebody somebody like tweeted at me after I asked the question. I asked the question, Tennessee and Miami both have big we're back type mm-hmm. of games this weekend. I don't think either team is, is gonna win because Miami's facing Clemson and Tennessee's facing Georgia. And I said, or this person said to me, they're like, What do you mean we're back? We've never left. Bro, who, who is he 30, talking to about? Ta- talking to me about Tennessee never leaving, never leaving. Bro. 33 straight losses to top 10 teams. I if you if that's arriving, man. Tennessee <laughs> has been gone so long, I'm gonna start calling him dad. I'll just say it. Uh they, oh, they, God. They, <laughs> they like Tennessee. You went there. Tennessee, like okay, here, all right, here's the thing. You brought up Miami, right? So, you know, in Miami's last four games against ranked opponents from the ACC, they've been an underdog in all in three of the four, and they've won all four against ranked opponents. And I think I think three of them might have been in the top ten. So to have that attitude of they they never left that is absolutely absurd and ridiculous. Um, but we're not going to harp on that because you know I think Jeremy Pruitt has turned things around. This is a different animal with Georgia. It, it just there's no other way to put it. I, I don't know. I mean, the eight-game win streak is awesome. None of that has come to against a ranked opponent. Um, so it's exciting, but at the same time, like the, like the substance of it, is it there? I, I don't know. Um, also, when you look at the last three in this series against Georgia, and, and, you know, this is a little bit different than bringing up, like, the Arkansas comparison with, with Chad Morris and, and, you know, Gus and now what's going on with Arkansas. The average score, the last three series, 41 to 9. Rushing yards per game, Georgia 261, Tennessee 66. Total yards per game, 448 to 231. Tennessee's also had seven combined turnovers in those games, and, and Georgia's only had one. And why that's important is Tennessee is, I think, the only team in the SEC that has not turned the ball over this year. Been really good at that. JG has been very, very good at ball security. And, you know, those are those are points that I think are, are very fair to bring up because you haven't necessarily had the, the change in coaching staff when you look at the year-to-year stuff. My question, is Tennessee too similar to Georgia to beat Georgia? Like, the things that Tennessee does well, Georgia does better. Yeah. And some of the, the foundational stuff that Jeremy Pruitt has tried to establish has been very similar to what Kirby Smart has done at Georgia. Same strengths. Uh, offensive line, they build around that. It's a disciplined defense. You want to do, I mean, they, they both want to do really similar things on offense as well. Two running backs, they want a passing game with a guy who's not going to make mistakes. He's not necessarily going to be a guy right. who's going to throw 400 yards or anything like that. Middle linebacker, I mean, Monty Rice and Henry to O to O, very similar at that position. Like, what's the weakness where Tennessee can really exploit Georgia? Because, yeah, that's you what know, I had a hard time trying to think of that. I, I can't think of that. I can't think of that because I maybe if I had seen Stetson Bennett the fourth struggle a lot against Auburn, maybe I'd be saying that's the place that they're going to get him. I don't know. I don't know that I can bank on this Tennessee defense confusing him up front as much. Maybe DeAndre Johnson gets in there and has a sack or two or something like that. But for 60 minutes, I think that's going to be really, really difficult. And I can't see that matchup that we look back on and say, "Yep, this is where Tennessee got Georgia." I mean, okay, let's let's not get crazy. If, if there is one, it's definitely Stetson Bennett the fourth because it's not going to be them stopping the run game. I mean, it's like like Jeremy Pruitt is a is a defensive backs coach, like first and foremost. And he, he just draws up some of the most difficult-to-read schemes. It's, it's unbelievably impressive. You ever watch, like, SEC StatCat or, or you yeah. know, um, those guys, like, break those down? It's incredible to watch, and, and especially just because of the names of the different defense. Um, 
I think they have a, a good chance of being able to... I mean, Setson Bennett's going to look... He's going to struggle, I think. I think it's going to look a lot worse than he did against Auburn. Mm, that being said, like, are they going to be able to stop Georgia's run game? I doubt it. Are they going to be able to, you know, like, manufacture enough yards at any point of that game? No. I don't, I don't know if they get in the end zone. Just, I mean, because this defense, again, mm. and, like, that's not a slight at Tennessee. It's the fact that I said it over and over and over again. Who scores 20, uh, who scores 20 points on this team? And then we saw Auburn go in there last week. And how many did they score? Six. Arkansas had ten, and they had like that. That one was on the first play of the game, or first drive of the game. I just, you know, I, I think for Tennessee to have a chance this game, they're gonna have to have multiple turnovers. Maybe I don't want to say a special team touchdown, but like multiple turnovers and and be in it in the fourth quarter. By the way, Stetson Bennett the third, he quote tweeted my apology letter to Stetson Bennett the fourth and said on behalf of the Stetson Bennett family we accept your apology. So is that, real? that was that was that was actually real. That is his that is his dad, Stetson Bennett the third. So what initially started with Sunday apologies and then you know led into a column. Uh, nice to know that the Stetson Bennett family is is over that. I think that I'm picking I'm picking Georgia to cover in this game though I do think that there will be moments for Tennessee in the second half in which they feel like, hey, this team isn't that far off. Yeah. And I, I think it's just going to be, like you said, the frustration against this Georgia defense, the Georgia defense that I'm kind of wondering now if we're going to be able to look back on the Georgia defense at the end of the regular season and remember each individual touchdown that was scored against them because it feels yeah. like such a difficult feat to be able to do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say... I'm going to say JG struggles in this game. Georgia defense takes over, and this doesn't necessarily turn into a proverbial Jim Chaney flex game. Yeah, I, that's fair. Um, I, I think, honestly, I, I think this could be a really cool moment for Tennessee. There's, there's a chance that they, they could do something late. They're in it late, you know what I mean? And, and kind of have I, – I keep thinking about that game two years ago. In Athens, where we thought George was going to blow him out, and it was, it was Jerry Pruitt cried. First year. He yeah. cried, and uh, so I, I keep thinking about that game, and, and I and I wonder if this will be similar to that in, in the fact that mm. like, will they be able to stay competitive for sixty minutes or, or 45, 50, whatever? And because I don't think that's what what like they want. I think I think Tennessee and Tennessee fans expect to go win this game, which I just again I think it's just a difficult uphill battle I, I feel like the more i've seen from tennessee though the more i fully believe that like next year is the year like that, that they are mm. back back that brian mauer hit i can't get that out of my head gosh that was a shot that he took last yeah. year oh lock of the week all right georgia state covered last week as a pick em. they covered by 20 points. Easiest bet in the world. My first two locks of the week, both covered. Thank you, Sean Elliott. I'm just riding the Georgia State train. But they're off this week. So that means oh, it is no. Malik freaking Willis Liberty. time. Let's go. Liberty, 19-point favorite against Louisiana Monroe. Malik Willis is back after missing last week with an elbow injury. Hugh Free says that he's ready to roll, and so am I. I am so fired up. There's been some Malik Willis Heisman buzz oh building pre-injury. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I think I'm the he's only like person. He's like the sixth QBR in the country. <laughs> or no, no, search... completion percentage. If you search Malik Wills Heisman on Twitter, I think I'm the only person. Yeah, it's just you. 
Uh, by the way, first two games, he's averaging 336 total yards, two and a half touchdowns, 72.5% passing. He had runs of 51 and 67 yards. And come on, I, I get Louisiana Monroe. They're in the Sun Belt, so it's a good 0-4. But let's let's be real. They lost by at least yeah. three scores in three of their first four games. Malik Willis is going to go off. Easy lock of the week. Liberty covers minus 19. I love it. Um, so I'm going to wait to give like lock locks uh, until Saturday because of it's the... It's a good plug uh, there. Yeah, because of the, um, the Facebook Live. And then also just because, you know, I, I just I love these first half bets. I will say I love that, that A&M uh, Florida over in the first half. And I'll just take you through some of these real quick. Um... Let me see here. The the Georgia Tennessee game, the under is 6 and 1 in the last 7 for Tennessee. It's 10 and 1 in the last 11 for UGA. Wow. The, the under has hit 9 straight SEC games for Georgia and also 6 straight at home. Um, let's see here. So also, uh, that's pretty interesting. Jeremy Pruitt is 5 and 1 or 5 and 0 oh in his last 5 games as an underdog, uh, and Georgia is only 5 and 12 as a as a uh, chalk favorite at home um, in the last 2 years. Uh, outside of that, Dan Mullen, 6-2 and two against the spread in the SEC on the road. Uh, the over is 6-1 and one in our last seven road games. The over is going to hit in that game easily. Mm. It's not even going to be close. Uh, so I love that as well. What else we got here? So I got this notebook. I love LSU, minus 11 first half. Um, I already told you all the stuff about Arkansas and Auburn. Uh, MSU, Kentucky, the under is 5-1 and one in their last six for Kentucky. It's also hit in seven, I'm sorry, 14-4. and four. The last 18 games they've had in this series, uh, so I like both those as well. My my lock, if I have to pick a lock, lock, I, I kind of want to go BYU, um, but it's, very trendy right now. Yeah, well, I mean that kid is an incredible quarterback. Um, instead, I'm going to go Marshall first half money line. They're playing Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky is awful. I mean, just flat out awful. They Malik are, Willis dunked all over them. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and so and also the thing about BYU, BYU is ranked uh, ranked third in in first half scoring offense per game, and they're also ranked third in first half scoring defense per game. I think the line's like twenty and a half, which is a little high for me. Um, but yeah, I like I like that, and I also love Marshall in the first half. We are Marshall. Great movie. Yeah. Really good movie. Before we get to our interview with Alyssa Lang, Marler, our friends at my bookie. They they're working. They've got to be working overtime right now. I mean, yeah. the amount of the amount of movement with these lines, with some of the COVID absences, with games changing sites, it's been probably all over the place to set some of these lines. Can you tell us about our friends at MyBookie? Guys, get on over there, to MyBookie today. I, I tell you what, me and Emory Picker had a fantastic conversation yesterday about MyBookie uh, and about live betting. And if you guys have any questions Ooh. about gambling, let me know. Reach out. I'll try to help as much as I can. I think we've even talked about doing a, a, a tutorial on Facebook Live at some point. But go to my bookie today where you can live bet. And you know what the, the beauty of live betting is, Connor? Yesterday, you can the bet Braves, on the Braves when they're losing. Yeah. Down 4-1. I sent, so I sent Emory Picker a text uh, at 3.09. And the Braves were down 4-1 to in that game. And, and said, live bet the Braves right now. And within six minutes, they were down, I think, 4-3. Um, and then came back and won. And, and I told him again, I said, and now do it again as soon as, uh, as soon as Miami's up. So we made some money yesterday. I want all of you guys to make some money as well. So make sure you go to my bookie, uh, sign up today. You get double your deposit, your initial deposit, if you use the promo code SDS. It's great to be able to catch up with Alyssa. Feels like things have happened. Um, 
pretty much all over the country, all over the world since yeah. we had her on back in February. It was amazing kind of looking back on just how, how different that conversation was way back then when we were getting ready for, you know, kind of in the middle of basketball season and all that as well. I think Alyssa is now on about 90% of SEC Network programming. It's crazy. She hosts, she's hosting Out of Pocket. She's hosting Thinking Out Loud, which she did as well uh, last year, but with a new cast and crew. She is also hosting Primetime with Field Yates on Sundays on ESPN Radio. Still That's doing cool. sideline reporting. She is everywhere. So here is our interview with Alyssa Lang. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is SEC Network's Alyssa Lang. Alyssa, it's probably easier to point to the SEC Network shows that you aren't on as opposed to the ones that you are on. I think you're basically on, down to like SEC This Morning with our guys PB and CD for shows that you aren't on. How have you enjoyed being pretty much everywhere all the time this fall? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's such a blessing, especially given where we were a couple of months ago, not even knowing what the fall was going to look like. And then all of a sudden, I literally have every day uh, full of activities and full of shows is is certainly a blessing for me. And it's exciting because, uh, as you guys know, there's nothing better than being able to really just dive into SEC football every single day of the week. Uh, And I get to do that in so many different ways, whether it's from a more analytical side or uh, from more of a personality-driven fun side. So uh, it's it's quite an honor to be able to be on the airwaves for SEC Network in, in a couple of those different aspects. The, the last time that we talked to you, it was right in the middle of basketball season. And I remember you were at the SEC tournament as well when everything sort of shut down and COVID took over the sports world. We, we discussed a lot of things the last time you came on, including your powerlifting prowess. Tell us, how does one powerlift during a pandemic? Oh, man. Uh, well, thankfully, my gym, right before everything really got shut down, like I think there was a couple of weeks, maybe maybe it was only a week or two, I don't really have any uh, gauge on time these days anymore. But before, I guess after the tournament, but before everything really closed down, my gym let us take some equipment home. Like we got to sign out, you know, some kettlebells or some barbells and things like that. And I was uh, in my apartment on the little, like, I don't even know, five by five uh, porch that overhangs over the apartment building, like literally trying to do kettlebell swings. And uh, I had a jump rope. And then I got smart and I was like, oh, we have a whole parking garage. So I went up to the top floor of our parking garage and just did some sprints back and forth a couple days a week and things like that. I probably looked like an absolute crazy person, but, uh, you know, it, it, it got it got the job done, especially because the food intake, I'm sure as everybody knows, uh, became a lot more during the pandemic, and I, I cared a lot less about what I was eating. So we had to get those workouts in. <laughs> so speaking of that, the beauty of your new show, Out of Pocket, is that you get to eat donuts on television. Now, you've seen some <laughs> awesome things in your career so far, but I got to imagine that is the ultimate look, mom, I made it type of moment for you. It was honestly surreal over the summer when they said, hey, you know, we have this idea for a show. Would you be interested? This is what we're thinking. And I was kind of like, are you, are you guys joking? Like, is, or is this, is this like for real? You want me to do a show about football and donuts and like you're going to pay me to do this? Yeah, sure. Like, this sounds great. I, I mean, it's, it's fantastic. It's really a blend of a lot of things that are just 
my life on a daily basis, which is trying to find uh, the best donut I can, given the location <laughs> that I'm in at, at that exact moment. Um, but it, it's it's been a crazy last couple of weeks, really planning what we want out of pocket to look like and, and what viewers can expect week in and week out. But it's been such a cool challenge to sort of sit back and say, okay, like, Every other sports show exists, and ESPN and, and Twitter and every other medium is doing these pregame shows and countdown to kickoff shows, but what can we do that's different? And that was sort of what we sat around and talked about was, well, what is the average college football fan doing at 9, 9.30 in the morning on a Saturday? They're probably making breakfast. Maybe they're starting to drink a little bit. They're They're figuring out what they're going to eat for the rest of the day, and they're just sort of talking to their family or friends or whoever they are with about the games that day. And so uh, I got to kind of bottle that up and try to turn it into a show, which has been really, really cool. And then, of course, as you said, I get to eat donuts during the show, which is awesome. <laughs> Gosh, it doesn't get better than that. Uh, well, first off, uh, favorite kind of donut? Oh, that's hard. So I'm, I don't know if I'm going to lose donut credibility over this, but I rarely, like, <sighs> finish a donut so the only donut that i'm very confident that like i can eat multiple of and certainly finish is just a Krispy Kreme regular glazed donut but a lot of these donut places the donuts are massive they're like the size of my face and usually i can't decide between one so i might get two or three different ones and just take like a quarter of each one so that I don't really have to choose. And then it also helps me in the gym later, so I don't want to die from eating three donuts the size of my face. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do love, like, a really good original glazed donut. Um, but I'm never going to say no to anything loaded with chocolate, like Oreo, brownie, chocolate icing. I'm a big chocolate person, so those I, I always just, like, black out when I'm in these places. And I'm like, I'll take one of everything. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Um, fantastic answer. Uh, so also you are a fantastic follow on Twitter. And one of my favorite things you do is clap back at, um, I don't want to say fans, but, but the audience and things that are said that are, I mean, I, I think most people would know are stupid. I got to know, cause you, I mean, you must get, um, you know, bombarded all day long, every day. What is your least favorite Twitter interaction? Oh man. Like type of. Um, as far as like the kind of messages I get or just things people tweet at me about? Either or. I wasn't going to go into like DMs or anything like that. I was going to say like just in, in on, the, on the surface of Twitter that everyone can see. Yeah. So I will say I have a lot more positive interactions on social media than I do negative. I feel like it's really easy to get fixated on the negative ones. And, and certainly for me, I have to pull myself sort of out of that hole of like, okay, one person said something mean, but 20 people said something nice. So that's always important to remember. But I will say, um, I get a lot of DMs or messages from people like critiquing my outfit. And it's usually like a 50 plus year old man. Um, and that's oh, always nice. really interesting when, you know, you're, they're giving me outfit advice. Um, one of the <sighs> things I know we sort of interacted on uh, on Twitter this week was somebody made a comment um, that I had my, I guess my arm muscles were like showing through my dress and someone made a comment uh, that I looked quote, 
jacked. And that's something that honestly, like, while it's funny, I take a lot of pride in that. Like, I love lifting weights. Um, I love Olympic lifting, and it's what I do outside of sports and outside of TV that sort of keeps me sane. And I get a lot of comments on a weekly basis about, like, oh, your shoulders look manly and blah, 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 um, mostly in the DMs, which, I, you know what, like, they probably think they're insulting me, but I'm like, you know what, I PR'd my deadlift last week. Thank you for saying I look fit. <laughs> I appreciate you. <laughs> probably, it's probably my least favorite at the end of the day. <laughs> Just fall back on deadlifts and donuts all day. That's all you got to exactly. do. All you got to do. Exactly. <laughs> Your, your new cast for Thinking Out Loud is awesome. And it got such a great reaction. I remember when SEC Network announced that a couple weeks ago. You've got Richard Johnson, Brandon Boykin, and Spencer Hall. How have you fared so far with keeping Spencer from ranting about old Westerns and comparing them to the Wishbone offense or pretty much whatever pops into that brain of his? Oh, I don't want Spencer to hold back on any of that. I will never mm. prevent him from doing that. That is what makes Spencer Spencer. And I think... That's what makes the new cast so great. They each bring this different flair uh, of personality and comedy. And, of course, they all three know the SEC and the game so well that it's just this perfect storm, quite literally, like a, a hurricane wrapped into one big show uh, for an hour. And we're just swirling around uh, talking about everything possible when it comes to college football. So uh, Spencer is is certainly a character. Our meetings before the show are always just so entertaining when sometimes Richard and Spencer will go off on a tangent and then Brandon will always interject and then we look up and it's been 10 minutes and the three of them are just joking back and forth about what kind of coverage so-and-so is playing this past Saturday and I'm just like, guys, save it for the show. Like, this is great content. <laughs> just, just wait another 24 hours. But they've been fantastic, uh, and I'm so excited for the season to go on because I, I know as everybody at home is watching, we're doing the virtual thing, and everyone's from their own home, and, and it's it's a little weird for us, too. Um, but I think it's it's getting better and better as the weeks go on and as we get to know each other better. But it's it's been a blast so far. So we, we did talk about this briefly yesterday. You sent me some... Um, Morse code or hieroglyphics or something about your workouts, and I could not decipher what any of that meant. Um, but I got to know. So you and Brandon Boykin are on the same show. Brandon Boykin, I'll, I'll just say this out loud. Uh, he has the best biceps on Instagram. So I, I want to know what are you guys doing to make this this happen and and be so uh, be so ripped. What can I do to uh, do the same thing? You know, I need to get Brandon's workout plan from him, honestly, because you're absolutely right. One scroll through his Instagram page, and I'm like, this dude needs to be a fitness model or something like that. Right. I don't know what he what he's doing. It's got to be the diet. Um, but I I will say, like, I'm a, I'm a big CrossFit person. Uh, that is my workout of choice. I try not to be like that annoying, uh, stereotypical crossfit person yep. who just posts about it on twitter which is why i think a lot of people are like wait you lift weights and do crossfit because I, I try to hold back from doing that um but today i did i, I just left the gym like an hour ago uh the, the workout ended up being a variation of like 400 meter runs and pull-ups basically like four rounds until you hit a mile and 80 pull-ups so that's what i did today i oh, don't know what brandon eight, did 80 pull-ups in a day Yes, it was it was I tough. I might life. not be going tomorrow because I'm sore. Um, but but it, like if that's what 
if that's what I'm doing, Brandon was probably doing like 800 pull-ups today. Because again, you mentioned the biceps, and he—I mean, he hasn't figured out. <laughs> Man, yeah, that fair is enough. Real eighty in a day. You, you said uh, at the end of the Tennessee South Carolina game that you were at to open the season that you had moments when you forgot that Williams Bryce was at a quarter capacity. What's the in-game experience been like so far? It's been pretty crazy. I, I think every sideline reporter and even the guys in the booth will tell you that. Um, but, but like you said, there were many moments during that game, and it ended up being such a back-and-forth game, which certainly made it a lot easier, I think, for fans to stay in it through the end. But, you know, I've got my two headset, my two uh, earbuds in both my ears, so I'm usually very locked into what's happening in the broadcast, and I can't hear too much around me unless I take one of those earpieces out. And I kind of figured – you know, this might be like a spring game. Like, I won't have any problem hearing the guys in the booth or hearing the producer in the truck. And there were times where I was having to hold my hand onto my ear to try to hear better because the crowd was so loud. And then it dawned on me, like, man, this is only 20% or whatever it was at williams Bryce. So it was pretty incredible. Um, there, there's obviously many challenges. Anyone who was watching that game and saw my halftime interview with Jeremy Pruitt saw that we had some... <laughs> challenges uh there's actually a speaker what we were trying to do is there's a speaker that is supposed to go in front of coach whoever you're interviewing and the speaker is connected to my microphone so that way it's supposed to like help him hear what question i'm asking so i I don't know what ended up happening in that moment but you know when you're like in a karaoke bar and there's that terrible feedback squealing noise (laughs) and everyone's like ah and then they have to turn it off or whatever. And it, like, that's what happened during our halftime interview. So poor Coach Pruitt is, this has the speaker just squealing feedback, like, right at him as I'm trying to ask a question. Um, and, and thank goodness he was such a good sport about it. He was super patient. I think he was like, I think you asked me about the offense, so I'm just going to talk <laughs> about that. So uh, certainly – challenges uh, I, I definitely miss being able to run right up to him certainly at the end of the game and be able to get in you know several of those more in-depth questions and really get the emotion but you know we're making the best of, of what we have right now and similar to what I said before about TOL and being in a virtual uh, setup I, I, I hope it'll only get better and better but uh, very appreciative to coach Pruitt and, and him giving me a helping hand during both of those uh, halftime and post-game interviews, for sure. You know, Aly- Alyssa, I mean, I thought the questions were great. Your outfit, I want to go over that for a couple <laughs> oh, <God>. minutes. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So, piggybacking off of off of that and, and, and kind of the weird, I hate this phrase, but new normal of, of being in the stadium and without all the fans, there's got to be, it's got to be a little bit awkward because you can hear so much more of the game and like so much more from the players and, and coaches. And you were around Muschamp after a loss. So is there, there has to be at least one like not suitable for work story from the sidelines this season. So there were, there were definitely some moments like that. But I will say I didn't hear, and this is honestly, I didn't hear anything from the South Carolina bench, mostly because I couldn't walk directly behind the bench. That was another thing. Um, a lot of reporters mm. are having to sort of like walk you know, that end cap around both end zones, like I can be on the field there, 
But in order to cross a cross over the other side of the field, like behind the bench, I was having to walk up into the stands. Um, so at that point, you're actually like a little too far away to really hear anything from the position coaches or Muschamp or anything like that. Um, but unfortunately, towards the end of the game and, and how the South Carolina game ended up going with uh, the punt that bounced off the heel of a South Carolina player and allowed Tennessee to recover, uh, I was in the stands at that point crossing over oh, to try to get in position for the interview uh, with Pruitt once I realized that's who I was going to be getting. And I heard plenty from the fans as I mm. was in the stands crossing over uh, that I wouldn't probably normally hear if I were on the field. So uh, that was probably the one like, oh, okay, yep, people are unhappy uh, moment that I had during that game. But it, it wasn't too crazy uh, on the field itself. Tennessee Vault Twitter has picked up on this thing where you are their good luck charm. Like, if you are on the sidelines yeah. for a Tennessee game, they don't lose. It's really weird, and it's been part of this winning streak. It's been well-documented among Tennessee fans. What is the dollar figure that you've been offered by a Tennessee booster to make sure that you're covering every single Tennessee game? Oh, man, yeah, no dollar figures at this point. It's been pretty Not crazy, yet. though, because I, uh, I was with – Taylor Zarzer and Matt Stinchcomb for the first season last year. And I think Taylor actually has a longer streak with Tennessee football. I want to say it's like some seven or eight games that he's called that Tennessee hasn't lost. And then I started to do games with them. And I think we did two or three Tennessee games last year. So Tennessee won all those games. And then I think I did two or three Tennessee basketball games this past season. And they won all of those, including one, I, I think it was the Tennessee Vanderbilt basketball game, and Vanderbilt actually made like a wild comeback, um, and Tennessee ends up pulling it out. So then it, it wasn't even me. One of the Vol fans started tweeting at me like, man, every time you do a Tennessee game, we never lose. And I started to think back like, oh, you're, you're right. This is weird. I have never been on the sidelines for a Tennessee sporting event where Tennessee has lost. So uh, that was one of the interesting sort of Twitter experiences before the Tennessee-South Carolina game because I did go to South Carolina, and that's obviously well-documented. So I had some Tennessee fans tweeting at me like, oh, no, we've got a Gamecock on the sidelines. And I was like, okay, yeah, I went to South Carolina, but I can be professional. Also, my track record with you guys should not scare you at all. Um, and that's when Tennessee Twitter, I think, started to be like, oh, yeah, great. And then all the tweets came out. So um, I, I am awaiting the day where my luck with Tennessee runs out and then Vol Twitter completely turns on me. Um, but for now, I will take it because they've shown me a lot of love for this streak. And no Tennessee, no Tennessee game this weekend for you. Not doing the the Tennessee Georgia game, so can't we? It's like it's almost like an Angels in the outfield thing at this point. Right. Like whether or not you can be there for them. So unfortunately, Tennessee fans won't be able to to see and count on that. T tell our South Carolina listeners something that'll make them not hate their lives right now. <laughs> oh, it's been a tough last couple of weeks for South Carolina. Um, Shai Smith is really good. Um, if mm -hmm. Shy Smith, if Shy Smith can get just a little bit of help, just a little bit of help, uh, I think the South Carolina offense could turn around completely. I mean, Colin Hill obviously is a talented quarterback. We've seen them show some really nice flashes, especially on offense. 
uh, over the last two weeks. But gosh, you gotta help Colin Hill. It can't just be Shai Smith. Um, and then those corners. I, I don't think those corners are too bad. Uh, Israel Mukwamu with that big uh, interception off of Kyle Trask this past weekend. So. You know, there's some talent there. Um, also, this year is a 10-game SEC season, so there's not going to be a ton to be happy about if you are not the cream of the crop in this conference. So um, there's not a ton probably to make you smile week to week when it's this much of a grind in conference play. But, um, yeah, Gamecock fans, no, they just got to buckle up. That's That's life as a South Carolina fan. <laughs> Gosh, even that was like, man, it's tough to really. <laughs> You're like talking about the do quarterback. Play. Don't jump. <laughs> yeah, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Alyssa, this has been great. Um, know that you are super busy right now doing a million shows, so appreciate the time. If you are going to tweet at Alyssa, tweet her either pictures of donuts or say, Alyssa, did you hit a new PR on deadlifts? Is that is that good? We can stick with that. Yes, absolutely good with that. And send me the pictures of the donuts for sure. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Alyssa, we will talk soon. Best of luck with everything. Thank you so much, guys. Awesome. Thank you. We don't have a siren or anything for a new segment alert, but maybe we should get one. Maybe we should get one. Uh, we'll move we'll, we'll back to the old place. Ooh, there we go. Peak Atlanta. That'd be perfect. We're going to temporarily call this fourth and wrong, we love your team edition. But, again, you'll come up with a catchy name. I have no doubt about that. So, basically the way that this is going to work, we have team-specific questions that were asked in the Facebook group. And we're going to try and answer some of them, at least. Not all of them. There's okay. a lot of them. That Jay Woody, shout out to our boy Jay Woody for putting this together. Always appreciate the fine work that he does for us. So, let's start off with this one from Cameron White. Because I think it's something that Florida fans are going to be asking probably throughout this season. Potential defensive coordinator candidates Oof. out there to replace Todd Grantham. He's an issue. Two guys. Two guys. Blake Baker is the defensive coordinator right now for Manny Diaz's group at Miami. Mm -hmm. The attraction, Manny Diaz, of course, the defensive-minded coach. Miami having a very nice year so far. But the attraction for somebody like Blake Baker would be to be able to go to a team where he could have total control over the defense, not have a head coach who oversees all that stuff as well. The more interesting one, and the one that would blow up Twitter and would just be fantastic for content, is Dan Lanning, yeah. the Georgia defensive coordinator. Because, as we know, Kirby has his, has his imprint on that defense, of course. And if Dan Mullen were to poach him and pay him a lot of money, which he could theoretically do... Oh boy, that would be that Wait, would be. Something. Are there rumors about that though? Like, why? Why would? No, no, no. Right. That's just purely, purely oh. speculation. And who could potentially step into a role like that? Who would be an, an attractive candidate? Because you need someone, in my opinion, who's they, they would probably go in a different direction. They want to go a little bit younger. You need somebody that that could probably uh, that that has some experience recruiting in the southeast as well. The Atlantic's making one point two five million dollars a year. Dude was a GA at Alabama five years ago. He needs a raise. That's all I know. That's pretty good. Yeah. That is pretty good. So those are the two names that I thought of. Um, okay. I like that. So this one from Derek Walden. Uh, is Stetson the best option for UGA this season? Is he the best fit for the offense, or does Daniel's talent when he's finally healthy trump the body of work Bennett has put on display thus far? I mean, it's an extensive body of work. Um, That's... <laughs> he's, I mean... Like so, and I, I, 
you know, we have fun with it, and I, and I think it's great. It's a great story and all that kind of stuff. I, there's, like, two parts of, like, one side of me thinks that he's not good enough to win you a national championship. Like, he's not talented enough. But then you can also look at, like, Greg McElroy, like, who was... Jay Coker. Eight of, well, Jay Coker was a physically a lot more talented than those other two. Um, I mean, he had an incredible arm. He was also a four-star recruit. Anyway, but so McElroy was 8 of 13 for 58 yards in the national championship game. Like, so they could do it. And I was talking about this with my buddy Robbie Buffington the other day, and I, I made that point to him, and he's brought up a very good point. Football's changed since then. So yeah. you kind of do need a quarterback uh, to go, you know, win you games. And, and if, I think about something that, that Gary Danielson always said, um, and you guys can hate on this if you want, but he always there's I forgot which game it was, but it's like there's there's a one game a year where you have to get your your quarterback has to go out there and win you a ball game, like it's just gonna be on his shoulders, and that's just that's that. Um, is Stetson Bennett gonna be able to do that? And it can't be the Arkansas game. Like, I, I was like gonna a, say he did it once already. Like an important <laughs> game. So I think again I think it's a great story and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I think I think next week at Bama will be really interesting because. I think Georgia's defense will do a lot to stop Bama, and we're going to see them held to, uh, you know, held in check. Yeah. But I don't know how he's going to look against a better defense. The other side of that, and I and I stand by this way more than the stuff I just said. I, I don't. It doesn't matter that much. I feel like because I don't see anyone putting points on this defense. That's the point that needs to be remembered for all this because you're right. The game has changed a lot. Bama defensively isn't what it used to be when it was holding teams without a touchdown for like, you know, yeah. four weeks in a row or something like that. Georgia, I think, is the only team that's kind of still like that. And I think if there is a team that can get away with that, it probably is. Now, I, I think that you got to ride Stetson out and you got to see where this thing can go. I, I really, I really believe that right now that you have a very unique opportunity with JT Daniels on the bench to where if Stetson Bennett falters, something like that, or if right. he gets hurt, which, you know, obviously in a year like this where there's contact tracing, stuff like that, then yeah, obviously you could turn to somebody like JT Daniels. But as of right now, until he shows you that he can't be the guy, I think you kind of you got to stick with him and see what you have. I, I think it'll be interesting to see what he looks like in a, you know, against a, a good defense. And that's saying Arkansas wasn't a good defense, but like, you know, he didn't light the world on fire in that game necessarily. Um, <laughs> so I think that... <laughs> Did he got her? I think he's seen. I think he's seen two. What, what what gives me a little bit of encouragement is that he's seen two. What I think are really good defensive minds in Barry Odom and Kevin Steele, and he's looked pretty good against both of them in situations where he could have been fooled, could have been overwhelmed. And we've seen we've talked about how quarterbacks handle pressure, and I think he actually did that pretty well. I just I don't understand to this day why why we give Kevin Steele. He, he gets like a pass for everything because of his he's had name. four straight top twenty. He's defenses. had like four he's jobs the in the SEC. Like, he, like but, if he was but that good, but it's the run would, at Auburn. Yeah, it's the run at Auburn. So the they looked they looked really good against Kentucky and and also against Georgia, um, being out game. He also looked really good. Kentucky the Iron points. looked really good in the Iron Bowl last year too. Just gonna throw that out there. We like people talk about the LSU game constantly. No one ever brings up the fact that they gave up 515 yards of offense in the Iron Bowl. Let's go, let's move go on. off. Let's move on. Um, anyway, yeah. So I, I I don't I don't think it's gonna matter. I think that Georgia defense is good enough to get into the national championship game regardless. Um, all right, this one, let's see. South Carolina-related question from Paige Cooper. Paige wants to know, why is Muschamp considered a defensive mastermind? You know? Fair question. Mastermind is a strong word because... Charles Manson's a mastermind, so it's like, you know... Yikes. We went there. We went there. Um, 
if you actually look at also at his year at Auburn when he was a defensive coordinator, which is the only time that he was a defensive coordinator during this decade, you would think, okay, they're probably really good defensively, right? I did not think they were that, like yeah. they were like a number of they were like a number fifty five defense in the country that year at Auburn in twenty fifteen when he was doing his gap year so to speak yeah in between SEC head coaching jobs he's a defensive mastermind because in part because that twenty twelve Florida defense was really really good yeah really good he has had some better than you realize defenses at South Carolina I'll give him credit for that he's had a lot of guys in the NFL as well. And I think that's part of it. The offensive struggles have, of course, overshadowed that, specifically at the quarterback position, the fact that he hasn't been able to find a running game in South Carolina. But he's considered a defensive mastermind because if you've done it at a big-time place or two big-time places, which he has technically done, if we give him credit for LSU and Florida, having at least good defenses, then that kind of carries some weight. But mastermind, again, very strong word, very strong. Yeah, I, I don't understand this one at all. Um, like, that's, uh, you know, I keep coming back to this. Like, if you're a South Carolina fan, I think it's okay to be frustrated for sure. But the frustration should definitely come. Like, if, he, if you're a defensive coach, like, why are we giving up this many points? It's the same thing as, like, you know, the Chad Morris thing at, at, at Arkansas. Like, if you're an offensive coach, why are we so bad on offense? So, um, very fair questions. But I guess he's going to be there for the next eight years. So, uh, yeah, strap probably. in. Um, let's see here. University of Tennessee. Chris, is Tennessee? Oh, we already did that one. Uh, yeah. Have the guys ever seen Garantano finish with such a clean jersey? Also, is Eric Gray the most overlooked running back in the country? I don't think it's it's Gray. Yeah, I don't think he's overlooked. Uh, that's By the way, that's from Adrian Verholst? Verholst, I think? Verholst. Um, Verholst. Yeah, so, and, and why, why am I drawing a blank on this kid's name now? Um, the other running back, he's Ty, leading the SEC. Ty Chandler. Ty Chandler. Ty Chandler. I mean, so... Like, he's literally leading the SEC in rushing, so I think that maybe we're not talking about Eric Gray as much because his teammate is is going off. And, and, and the best part about that, like those two, is they complement each other so well, and they, they really, really do a – like they, they kind of make that offense go. You know what I mean? I think that Gray – I think the way that he finished his freshman year was mm-hmm. – gave him a lot of pub in the offense. We talked about him a good amount. I said that he was going to lead the SEC in carries, which mm-hmm. – Ty Chandler has looked really good in the first part of the season. It has warranted the work that he has got. So definitely don't think that pr- prediction is going to come to fruition, especially with Jim Chaney and his, pa- and his past with uh, with you know multiple backs and stuff like that. But, I said Gray was going to the SEC in rushing, and his teammate is. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the off- that speaks to the offensive line. I, th- I think Gray yeah. is, is still going to have some big-time plays this year. Have we ever seen Garantano finish with such a clean jersey? No. This past week was – it was telling. It really was. And you can kind of see, you know, we've, we've criticized him before because I don't think his pocket awareness is, like, you look at Kyle Trask and his pocket awareness compared to mm-hmm. somebody like J.G., and it's at a very different level. Kyle Trask isn't going to get blindsided the same way that J.G. does sometimes. That's fair. But you're right. You're right. Like, after what he did this past weekend, you're like, oh, hey, that actually looked all right. That yeah. looked okay. You know, it was Mizzou, but I mean, it's Mizzou good to be, know that he's got a good defense. Yeah, and you can't if you're if you're facing Mizzou and you're and if you're supposed to have one of the best offensive lines in the SEC, you can't have your quarterback still taking four sacks. That's the type of stuff that adds on yeah. like a month later. So good for good for JG for being able to like get out of a game and maybe not have to do as much laundry. I, I think that I mean uh, we've said it all offseason. I think this offensive line could be one of the best, it, at least most improved in the SEC if not the country, and they, they've looked good. I think with Cade Mays, I didn't think it would make that much of a difference, but it really has. Yeah. 
Reed Cousins. Uh, we'll do two more of these. Two more of these. Um, so I'll do one and you'll do one. Reed Cousins wants to know, with the way Mac Jones is playing, does Bryce Young get any legitimate playing time or is it all mop-up duty? Does he transfer? Oh you know, already. transferring is... Transferring, th- this this idea that if you don't play as a true freshman, you're ultimately going to transfer, part of that is the Justin Fields thing, right? Yeah. I mean, the way that well, that whole thing played out. Too. Yeah, and, and, and right. We heard the comments from Lane afterwards about how he heard if, if Tua wasn't going to play in the national championship, he would have been gone. And uh, you know what? Based on what we've seen from that family, I, I yeah. tend to believe that. I really tend to believe that. So I, I think that... You know, if you're a Bama fan and you're kind of worried about how this is going to play out with Bryce Young, you're hoping that that Bama gets into these situations where Bryce Young can sort of do the Tua thing, which is very different than the Justin Fields thing. People need to remember that. Justin Fields was being brought in as just a runner, and that was it. And they would use him as this yeah. glorified wildcat. And that's that's not what's going to happen with Bryce Young, obviously. And that's why Bama was still throwing late in the fourth quarter of that game was because they want to get Bryce Young reps so I think Max Max is going to continue to to be the starter moving forward, and yeah, I, I do think it's only going to be mop up role. But at the same time, I think he can still get valuable reps, and I don't think it should just be a foregone conclusion that he's going to transfer if he doesn't end up the starter by the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think you know he had a tough start because like it, it, it would make more sense the transfer thing if he came in was competing, thought he was better than Mac, and you know didn't win the starting job. But like he came in early. Had to be had to go back home to California and then like missed out on all this stuff and like all this you know like time to like develop and, and you know with the team and all that kind of thing all those kind of things and also let's just I'll say it one more time Mac Jones is really good at quarterback we, we just, very good at football at some very point good. people are going to start realizing that um, he's really good so I, I don't the transfer thing I don't know that I don't know if it really worries me but I will say I was surprised that he didn't get more playing time last week because I, I think you have to have a package for him because he's that talented. And and he does so many things well for like from an athletic standpoint that I feel like it makes sense that it's only a benefit to have him on the field. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it, it'll be maybe mob duty. I, I honestly, I firmly believe by the end of the season he will have a role on the team that is not starting or anything like that, but he has a role on the team that is, you know, him like coming in for design play calls, coming in for like, you know, on the third series or whatever it would be. You know, every game. George Whitfield, who uh, is a Coop, he's a QB guru. He does stuff with the Elite yeah. 11. You've probably seen him on College Game Day. Uh, he had this quote about Matt Corral, which I think kind of applies to to, Matt, to to Bryce Young as well. Where he said, right now, this was like three years ago when Matt Corral was at Elite 11. And he said, right now, he throws the ball one tempo, and that is heat. The challenge is going to get to be to get him to throw different types of passes, custom service. Not everybody ordered their plate with hot sauce. By the way, shout out to our friends, Texas Pete. But that's kind of what I think applies to Bryce Young, and that's why they want to see him get these reps, and they need to be able to see that. We got one more? You want to end with one? Yeah, I got one. Uh, Let's see here. So Arkansas plays Georgia close for a large part of that game. This is from Jay Jay Woody. Why why is he asking a question? Um, Jay Bird. Okay, you know what? Let's let's do this one. Robert Robert Perez says, "Is Coach O just another Gene Chizik, but with a small dose of personality?" Let First me, of all, how dare you? Yeah. How dare so you? here's the deal, and and I appreciate you listening and, and also uh, sending us that question. But you know, we always joke around about like who do I have to yell at this week? I'm gonna yell at you, sir, because here's the deal. Come on, Robert. A dose of personality? Sorry, Robert. 
Um, a dose of personality. He has a huge personality. Like, he's an incredible personality. He's a lot of fun. He's like the only thing that made losing fun last season. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> just, just to be honest. So, and the whole thing with Chizik, I, somebody brought this up last, oh, it was actually Will Ogburn, our, uh, our producer, because apparently this has been floating around and, and like this is like an actual take people have. Uh-oh. The Gene Chizik thing about how he, he's just Gene Chizik 2.0. I, I love Gene Chizik. It was, it was awesome to get to meet him. He's a fantastic guy. Like Careful. Cannot say enough about him. He was brought in for a reason, in my opinion, uh, to that program. And it was to be the face of the program. And while they did all the other things that Auburn does in the background with Bobby Louder and those guys that run, like the good old boys that run that entire football program. And, and that's the Jimmy Rain, the guy from Victory Land, all that kind of crap. And it, I know that sounds kind of harsh and like a conspiracy theory. Gene Chizik was 5-19 and 19 as a head coach. 5-19 and 19 at Iowa State. Two seasons, he won five games, and he gets, he was hired to, to come into one of the premier universities in the biggest conference in college football. So, the difference between the two, first off, I can't, I mean, I, I, it couldn't be more different in my opinion. I, I don't think, I, I don't oh. think they're the same at all. What, what, you're going to say something's up. I won't stand for any Chiswick slander, as you know, as you know. <laughs> Very good friend of the program. No, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this about Chizik. You, you bring up the 5-19 and 19 thing, but both of us, after the first time that we had ever talked to him, and it's been nice to be able to kind of get to know him as well. After the first time we talked to him, we're like, oh, that guy's awesome. So I could totally, like putting myself in the athletic director yeah. position, I could totally see how you could sit down in a room with that guy and be like, oh, yeah, that's the guy that I want leading our program. It, obviously. Why wouldn't I? And five it's and different. Name, name a, name a get time it. program that would do that. I get it. I'm. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going back to, to all that. What I will say is, we we think that winning a national title is easy. Yeah. There are six. There are six active FBS head coaches who have a ring. Mm-hmm. All right. It is not an easy thing to do. Ask Kirby yeah. Smart about that. All right. It's not an easy thing to do, no matter how much talent you have. And right. there are certain coaches who will give anything to be able to get there. And I don't think it should ever be taken away from Coach O, even if this team ends up going six and four or whatever, and people are gonna, you know, try and go back on that take, which I think is ridiculous. Yeah, by the way, by he, the way, it's only been two games. Like I don't. Yeah. Like, I don't understand. That's, that's, that's way like I, I won't I won't stand for that. Yeah. Read Coach O's book. Uh, just came out with Bruce Feldman. I'm halfway through it. It's awesome. It's it's great to be able to kind of see his journey and see kind of what it took to get to this point. I recommend everybody. That's a shameless plug. It's not an ad or anything. I just think people should go read it. It's really good. It's really good. Um, but no more Chizik slander. Let's not it's do not, that. that not, so, by the way, it's not slander because it's, these are all things that happened. And, and like, Allegedly. I, it doesn't mean we can, no, that a thousand percent happened. <laughs> that was his record. I just, I think it's, you would, if, if that happened today and someone at, like a, at a major university hired a coach that just went 5 and 19, that would be all the news. All of it. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. That was Fourth and Wrong. We love your team edition. Uh, we'll, we'll figure out a name for that later on. Hopefully, everybody has enjoyed this. Hopefully, everybody is staying safe amidst Hurricane Delta. All this rain that we're going to be getting this weekend. Not a fan of that. Not a fan of that. But the good news is we should have nearly, hopefully, a full slate of SEC football. And that is so much better than anything that we've this awesome we are hashtag blessed all right marler uncle chris friend funkless what do we need it might mean too much guys
Fuck you, Civic 2.0. Unbelievable. Crap. Crap. 